Thanks for joining us this week for Chalk Talk EDU. We're an off-duty teacher and academic aimed to tackle tough topics over coffee and humor. My name's Alyssa, a former teacher and now academic. And my name's Kimmy. I am currently a teacher. Today's episode is focused on how to set expectations in your classroom. Let's start off with a mental health check-in. Alyssa, how have you been feeling? I'm trying to get back into my healthy you kick. I took a bike ride today. I finally pumped up my bike wheels, which desperately needed (laughs) some help. And I'm really trying to get back out on the trail, bike a little bit drink more water, summertime, stay hydrated. How about, how about you? I'm on the same kind of kick right now. Um, I'm on about, I think it's six or seven days of a solid like workout routine. Wow. um, Not me. (laughs) Well, it's great to get back into, um, before the school shutdowns, I was like every morning in the gym, then gym shutdown. Um, and I've been struggling, but getting back there. I'm definitely not that gym workout person. I need to find that motivation <laughs> like you. So kudos to you. For I prefer that. the gym. Being home has not been fun, but um, I'm trying. So, I hear you. We all yeah. are. And that's it. That's all that matters. Let's talk a little bit about why we want to talk about expectations. I think when we started looking at topics we wanted to discuss for our first few episodes, we knew the beginning of the school year was coming and setting expectations early and setting mm-hmm. them very clearly is important. It's proven in the research that setting those expectations work and they work very well. So I have a question for you. I'm going to kind of hit you with this one. What do you think about expectations versus rules? Uh, I'm not a rule fan. I'm, I like the expectations. However, I don't think the kids get clogged up in the words as much. They just see if I said, like, we're going to follow the directions the first time. Mm-hmm. They might see that as a rule. I think the way they're worded depends. Like, no running is very different than walk in the classroom. So that might seem more to, like, a rule, but I stick to more expectations. I agree. I like the um, phrase expectations. I think that even in the teacher's mind, expectations come off differently. Um you know, you're looking for expectations to be clear. You're looking for them to be positively stated. Hold up. So I can't say stop running. No, you want to say use walking feet. What about no screaming? Use your inside voice. What about no hitting? Keep your hands and feet to yourself. Hmm. Oh, what about the easiest one? No calling out. Oh, that's my favorite. Use a quiet raised hand. Easy changes, but the way that you word them mean a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, language matters um, with kids, with people. And this really, this is another place where language really matters. Yeah. The more positive they are and they're clear, concise, it works. Yeah. Because really when you say no hitting, the last thing that that child hears is the word hitting. Mm-hmm. But when you say, keep your hands and feet to yourself, it's clear. You're telling them what they should be doing, yeah. not what they should not be doing. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying maybe I'm thinking about like I taught older students who often sometimes would use more foul language. So if they just heard me saying like, please stop cursing, be saying asking them to be more respectful mm-hmm. and speak in a more respectful voice and use more respectful language is a much different request. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of rules are usually things not to do. Um, but expectations are the things that you need to do. And when we tell kids not to do things, they often don't know what to do instead. Mm-hmm. But when we tell them what we want them to do, um, we're giving them that reminder and we're giving them that opportunity to know what is expected of them. And that's why it's so important 
to have clear expectations. Um, but it's also important to get the buy-in, mm-hmm. um, get the kids to agree to them, whether that's them helping come up with them or having some kind of, um, you know, meeting with them at the beginning of the year and getting their buy-in and get helping them understand everybody in the room is going to follow these. I agree. So before we jump into where do you start even creating these expectations, let's share some common ones that we've used in classrooms or that we've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so be respectful. Mm-hmm. Like be respectful. So many different ones about using clear language. Mm-hmm. Um, be responsible is a really good one. Yeah. Always follow directions in some type of format. That sentence is always there. Yeah. Keep your hands and feet to yourself or, you know, have maintain personal space, um, something along those lines. Yep. I agree. I agree 100%. All right. Now that we threw some common ones out there, where do you even start? You maybe you've been in a school for a long time and they use school-wide expectations that you have to follow in your classroom. So you use those and maybe you need to add a few more because they only have like two or three and you need more precise expectations. So that's a good idea to think about. What if, Kimmy, your school doesn't have any expectations and you want to implement expectations in your classroom? What could you do? Um, In that case, I would definitely come up with, you know, three or four very clearly stated expectations um, that you're going to have for your classroom and put them together yourself, whether that looks like a poster for each and then underneath you're going to kind of define what that means. Um, But, you know, choose the ones that make the most sense for your classroom. Personally, I'm in a school where we do have a school-wide system, um, but in a lot of cases in my classroom, they're not specific enough. So I've used the school-wide and added follow directions um, because there wasn't really a good place for that to go. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have four when you enter my room, um, but they know the other three from everywhere else. That's a, a great point. Like use what you have, and if you need to supplement, go ahead and do that. I think something that I never realized is so important is making sure everybody on your team knows your expectations. So if you're a special ed teacher or you're a general ed teacher and you work together and you share common students who come back and forth or you have um, aides or instructional assistants who may help you, everyone should know the expectations and everyone should know how to state them very clearly. So something that I did for that um, this year was I actually made smaller posters. So again, I teach learning support, um, which meant that groups are happening in my room, but groups are also happening in other areas of the school, and they don't always have my bigger poster. Mm -hmm. So I made a smaller version. I laminated it, and I put it in the bins for each of the groups so that my aides are able to pull that out and review expectations with kids very clearly, and I know that they're using the same language. That's actually a good idea. So as long as it's there and visible, it's always on their mind. And I think mm-hmm. making sure that it's printed out or it's somewhere, which is why I want to talk a little bit about you have these expectations. How do you teach them? What kind of lessons should you do? And it really depends on the grade level. So you could have a morning meeting mm-hmm. if you taught more younger grades. I used to um, make like silly videos with my kids and we make like examples versus non-examples. Or if you, a lot of people use Flipgrid, you make videos explain the kids would explain the expectation and maybe give a bad uh, a bad example of it and then a great one i've done um school scavenger hunts where yeah. we go to different areas of the school um and then while they sit there they have to go through the expectations and how it applies to the library 
and how it applies to the cafeteria, because being respectful in the library might look different than the cafeteria um, and talk about that. But we make it kind of a fun. Mm -hmm. They collect a sticker at every place that we go, something like that. Now, no matter what expectation example we just gave of how to teach it, you probably did hear the words that aren't there. Practice, 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 because you can go over expectations. You can explain them to them to students. But unless they actually go do something with it or have an activity with them, it will be more it'll be more meaningful with that. For sure. And just because you set, set the expectations in September doesn't mean they're going to remember them in March. No way. Yeah, you have to you have to talk about it a lot. So I do want to share that Kimmy and I did work in the same school building for two years and we worked in different parts of the building. However, the school did have an expectation for teachers that we reviewed the student expectations before every single class period mm -hmm. before you started your actual instruction. So Kimmy, do you want to share a little about uh, your experience with that? Um, so that was definitely a part that when I first heard it, it felt overwhelming. I was like, wow, it's a lot of times. Um, I love it because it created some really natural transitions in mm -hmm. our day. Kids knew when we were, you know, in elementary school, you're typically staying in the same room. And a lot of your lessons and subjects can really blend for kids. Mm -hmm. um, but it was really nice to have that because we were able to transition between different lessons and kids knew they felt that kind of break that was happening because we were setting those expectations. It is for sure something that I brought with me to um, where I am now. We review expectations at the beginning of every group. Mm -hmm. um, I've encouraged a lot of teachers to review them at the beginning of their lessons with some of my students who just really need to hear them more often. Um, and yeah, I also like to bring the kids in on it. I know, especially with the older kids, um, but ask them, what does it look like to be respectful? Yeah. And talk about it with them and have them, you know, every time really repeat that. If you walk in on one of my groups right now, you can pretty much ask any of my kids about any expectation area and they can answer for you what it looks like Bingo. in that group. That's <laughs> awesome. So as we mentioned, you should have it hung up. You should be reviewing them often, especially beginning of the school year, very, very extremely often. And making sure that the students receive reinforcement and praise from you when they're engaging in the expectations appropriately. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of it might seem silly or more like common sense. However, when you have like 25, 30 kids in a room, sometimes you're in survival mode and not common <laughs> sense mode, which I've sometimes have felt myself be. And when you have a, a nice child raise his hand to ask to go to the bathroom and you say, thank you, Johnny, for using that quiet raised hand, it might <laughs> seem so silly, but it means a lot to them. Oh, I do it all the time. I definitely got some strange looks because it is so part of who I am from that school that, yes. that we were both in. Um, and going into a different school and walking into somebody's classroom and thanking a child for something that, you know, another teacher might say, well, that's what they're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, it is. But I'm going to thank them for it because they're doing it. Um, and I'm going to bring attention to that because I want them to know that they are following the expectation. And I appreciate that fact. Um, so that has definitely been kind of a funny one, but I'm hearing it more and more from teachers who work with me often, which is nice to hear. So something, Kimmy, that I know we both have had completely different experiences with because of our different age group is setting up routines. So not only do you need to set up expectations at the beginning of the school year, you need to build out these routines and teach them, have mm -hmm. the students practice them. 
and let them go on their way because a strong routine in September will help you in February. For sure. Um, Something that I really had to make a big change for this year was the routine of coming to an intervention group. Mm -hmm. So some of my older kids don't like being picked up by the learning support teacher. (laughs) They don't like me coming to the door and and knocking or any of that. They don't want to seem different. Exactly. So I set up with them that they had a post-it note with their time and they knew to come down to me. So that was a very different routine than my first and second graders where I went and picked them up and we had to practice walking in the hallway and coming into my room and what to do when you enter my room Mm -hmm. and you know, really practice that how to enter, how to sit down, where you're going to sit, how we're going to start. But because I spent the time practicing that early, it really helped later in the year when they could walk in and we could start super quick because they knew that routine. Now, I was lucky that I taught middle school. So a lot of my students knew how to unpack their backpacks and (laughs) get their stuff out for the beginning of the day. However, a lot of them the majority of them would just hand papers to me all the time or lay them on my desk and they would go missing in mm-hmm. the vast of papers <laughs> on my desk. But teaching them the routine of where to hand things in and what bins they go in. I know we've mentioned before, label everything. You're labeling things not just for yourself, but for your kids so that everything goes in the right spot and all that data stays collected. Yes. Um, that was one, you know, I have kids who use point sheets and they need to bring it to me at the beginning of the day and pick up their new one. Um, and they were often, while I was in conversation, just trying to hand it to me. And I knew if I took that paper from them, it was going to go missing. Yep. So I often, um, you know, smile at them, but don't acknowledge the paper and might point to where it's supposed to go. They know it's supposed to go there. They may need the reminder. Um, but knowing that I have a bin for that, that's where it needs to go. Not because, not for any other reason than I will lose it if you put it in my hand in the middle mm-hmm. of a conversation. Um, that's just kind of how it goes in school sometimes. And now for my favorite segment, what we wish we knew about a certain topic. Today's is what we wish we knew about routines. <laughs> and when I sat down and started thinking about it, not specifically in um, the regular school year, but I remember a few summers ago, I taught preschool for the summer and I never had to have a bathroom routine set up and I never had to teach one. <laughs> and it was incredibly awkward and blew up in my face for like a week and a half until I really figured out what was going on and got the kids on track. And I think it's okay to ask for help. I asked a lot of other teachers who use the same bathroom as me, like, what do your kids do when they get there? And like, where do they stand? Because all that logistics matters and Mm -hmm. it works to the best flow matters. And you save so much time in the classroom with instruction if you have a fast bathroom routine. Oh, for sure. So that's actually something. So before I even set foot in my first classroom, I taught over the summer um, and I taught in in an enrichment program Mm -hmm. and we were actually on a college campus. That's awesome. But we had, I had kindergartners, (laughs) which meant that my bathroom routine, which in my head I thought I knew um, was so different because first of all, the bathrooms aren't made for kindergartners or elementary schoolers at all. Um, They're in really strange places because they're not meant for 15 kids to be using all at once. No. Nope. Um, and then things like I had to check the bathroom before to make sure that there weren't adults in the bathroom. Um, so I definitely feel that. And I wasted so much time my first two weeks just trying to get that bathroom plan going. But once we had a routine, you know, things picked up um, and were so much quicker. But I agree with that. Though. It's tough. I, 
I hear you. Yeah, that's definitely not my <laughs> not my not area your thing of as a middle school teacher. <laughs> no, I never thought I would be doing. Could you those imagine things. taking your entire middle school class into the hallway, lining them up, and waiting for everybody to use the bathroom? It would be like glamour time in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what we did talk a lot today on this episode about making sure that you encourage and praise and reinforce the students when they're mm-hmm. following routines or expectations or just doing things positively in your classroom. So a lot of people kind of flinch when you say the word reinforcement or reinforcers. Yeah. Some people love the topic. Some people hate it. There's a lot of support on both sides. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I have a lot of back and forth on certain things too. So I I know that, that feeling. Yeah. I think verbal praise is free and people don't use it enough. And it's so quick and easy to mm-hmm. just nicely say something uh, right back to a student when they engage in the appropriate behavior. And we don't often feel that. And I think when I first started teaching, I struggled with saying it very quickly and praising students for the simplest things, but they found it to be such great praise. But then once you train yourself and your brain to make sure that you're thanking students for doing something, it becomes more natural. It's really awkward at first though. Another thing that's really, you know, free um, and that a lot of my kids actually asked for this year, which I loved. And also like it kind of saddened me a little bit that they felt it was something they wanted so badly um, was really a positive note to their parents. Oh. They would ask like, oh, I'm doing really good. Can you tell my mom? Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times, you know, using that as reinforcement, knowing that they're going to go home and their parents have a note from me or their parents have an email from me. Sometimes I, I started making little note cards that I would give to them that they could give to their parents that were a positive message. Very reinforcing, totally free, took 20 seconds of my time. Yeah. Now, a lot of schools uh, often have a token economy system or teachers Mm -hmm. have some type of system set up that if you're doing good, you get X, Y, Z. And some teachers are really supportive of that and some are not so much. I mean, sometimes it's expensive depending on what you choose to do. However, there's completely opposite sides of the spectrum. There's really low budget stuff and then there's some more high budget. I think I've seen a few different things. I've seen people... um, let students get to pick their seat in the room yep. or maybe you get to sit in the teacher's desk or have like a lunch bunch with the teacher. Um, I've even seen like homework passes as in, uh, in higher grades. So when I taught gen ed, um, I used class dojo mm-hmm. for a lot. I never, ever, ever used the like thumb down, thumbs down option. Um, it makes very uncomfortable noise and it's just, it's negative and it's not useful, but the kids would kind of rack up points from the positives and they had a bank. Like they a buy knew, things. Yeah, and they knew. <laughs> but what I did for everything they could buy, none of it cost me any money. It was coupon passes, and they would get this little, like, slip from me for whatever it was. Sometimes it was, a, you know, sit at the teacher's desk, um, wear slippers for the day, bring a stuffed animal that day. And they got to pick, uh, and they got to buy. And it was so meaningful because there was so much buy-in from them. And very little that I really had to do other than award them points and tell them how many points they had, um, which they were only allowed. And, you know, I set up times. They were allowed to ask me during snack time how many points were in their bank. And they were allowed to ask me once they were packed up at the end of the day. And they knew that. And I think we didn't talk anything about this yet, about class-wide reinforcers. So Mm -hmm. often when you're setting up routines, this might work for you if all the kids Um, are lined up after recess in the 30 seconds that you called them after your call and response, a teacher might put a marble in a jar. And when the whole jar is filled, the whole class gets to earn something. So not to go on my class dojo thing again, (laughs) but it's there. Um, 
it's because it's an app on your phone as well. I found it very simple for me to use, but it also keeps track of your class points. Yep. And we did rewards at certain class point um, numbers. So mm-hmm. when we got to like, I think my kids got a lot of points because I used, you know, very high levels of reinforcement. So it was like at 2000 points, they got extra recess time. Um, but it was fun for them. They were able to see it. They were able to ask. It was very interactive and their parents could see. Mm-hmm. So it was very easy for their parents to go home and they would say, you know, their parents would be like, you got 20 points today. Great job. It really brought yeah. everybody in. So again, not everybody <laughs> loves it, but I had a blast using it. Worked very well for my classroom. So that's the cheap end. There is the expensive end and it's there, even though um, I know not we kind of stray away from them because, I mean, we're young. We don't have as much money. We have student mm-hmm. loans to pay. But do you have anything to share about the more expensive end of reinforcers that you can have in your classroom? The dollar store is your friend. It is. They sell a lot in bulk that you can get for pretty cheap. Um, I do have a grab box. A lot of my kids are reinforced by that. Mm -hmm. Um, What are the hot items in the grab box? uh, One of my aides found mini slime this year. Oh. And it was phenomenal. (laughs) It was super cheap. And the kids loved it. The other hot item was these little bubbles. Um. That were super fun. But so what we do with that, they don't get to choose from the grab box every day. Um, I have that as kind of a bigger reinforcer. They can save up great days for the Mm -hmm. grab box, Um, kind of save up point sheet days, really, if that makes sense. But it works really well. I'm not a huge fan of edible reinforcers, again, unless they're spaced out. Um, I'm not a fan of seeing, you know, edible reinforcers being used 10 times in a day for a child. But, you know, at the end of the week, if they want to pick, we had mints in at one point that that kids really liked. Um, I think that's okay. But definitely take advantage of your dollar store. Take Mm -hmm. advantage of any dollar spot deals you see at Target. If they have big bags of things, party favor bags are really useful because you can get, you know, 15 of the same item for cheaper. Um, I agree. I, we do have a question sent in that relates to money and grab boxes. So they said, hey, y'all, I'm teaching emotional support and I'm trying to build my resource box for a calm down area in my room. Any suggestions? Suggestions for a calm down box. I know. I mean, it goes with money, having things mm-hmm. that are more free. Um, so something that I've done for calm down boxes are um, I've gone to some games mm-hmm. and use that kind of the flip timer. Yeah. Um, usually don't have to pay. They're kind of in, in a game that you already have in your room. Um, but, you know, it's helpful sometimes for some kids to watch the sand fall um, and focus on that. I've even seen some teachers use like an old iPod that mm-hmm. you used to have and it only has um, like calming songs or it even has like some of the apps that are out there. Like I've, I have Calm, there's uh, the 10% Happier app and all those different apps out there that you can do like a five-minute cool-down meditation if you want to work on mindfulness with your students and that kind of stuff too. Yeah, so for my students um, in a calm-down area, I actually don't typically have a calm-down box available. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like to teach kids to you know not rely on those items okay. um, and calm down on their own with more internal um, breathing exercises, or just, you know, learning to take space. Um, But we also, I'm 
I work with a great special ed department right now who has made certain resources available to us, um, knowing that we're a newer, newer classroom. And so that would be the other thing that I would say is don't be afraid, especially if you're a special ed teacher, to reach out to your director of special ed, because sometimes there are things that they have back at the office or their district office that other teachers didn't want to use Mm -hmm. and you can look at and maybe pull for your classroom. I agree. You never know what's out there. Just like our podcast. You may have never known what's out there. Maybe (laughs) it got recommended to you. Just ask. (laughs) So with that being said, please make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and send us in any uh, questions through direct message on there, chalktalkedu, or email us at chalktalkedupodcast at gmail.com. Recommend us to a friend, your teacher BFF, or a future teacher in college. And again, if you want to send us anything, we're open to any. See you later. Bye.